to the forge cast my name's sam towns and i'm alex norton before we get into today's episode let's take a moment to thank our sponsor today's episode is coming at you thanks to the amazing weber abrasives because you can only get cubitron belts from one place in australia visit abrasives.on.net to work with the best today so sam what have you been up to in the last two weeks because we had a, bit <laughs> of a little bit of a rest a little bit of us yeah. time uh, it's been a full-on couple of weeks, I'll be honest. Um, pretty exhausted, but uh, making making progress. I um, making excellent finished... YouTube tutorials. Yeah, been making uh, been making how to forge tutorials on uh, various shapes and styles of knives. I've got a few more to make in the coming weeks. I've also done a how-to on inlay that'll be coming out next week. Um, mm doing wire inlay and i may be doing more inlay how to's in the future um but apart from that i've also been making hammers uh i finished up one of our loyal listeners seth woods hammer um and i think it's a it's a good time for him to be getting a new tool because poor guy just can't catch a break uh after his house burned down uh last year or the year before last um He's now lost a lot of stuff to the floods that happened over there, so... Yeah, it's pretty uh, pretty rough, to be honest. Yeah, it's it's ridiculous. I, I, I don't understand, <laughs> you know. But uh, he's maintaining a positive attitude, which, you know... An incredibly positive attitude, actually. It's quite, quite every motivational. Time, every time he gets knocked down, he just gets up, like, harder than he did before. And it's it's incredible to watch like it's incredible to see yeah song of the week should be tub thumping just in um (laughs) memorandum that's right yeah um but yeah so finished his hammer um and i it came out beautiful too yeah it came out pretty good um it's trying a new style of rounding hammer i'll actually really like it so i'm gonna make a few Mm. more like it um, of course, it was a monster hammer because you know it's four pounds <laughs> rather than the usual two and a half, three pounders that I make. Just a little peening hammer for Seth. Yeah. <laughs> Pretty much, yeah. It's his, it's his uh, riveting hammer. But um, yeah, no, I've uh, forged out like six hammers the other day, yesterday, I think it was, when we were recording this. Um, made a rounding hammer and a couple of uh, cross peens and a straight peen and uh, oh, English cutlass hammers trying to get some hammers out of the way i've got a few people that have been expecting hammers from me for a while so it's uh trying to catch up with them and also just uh yeah get some stock going in the shop because uh perth knife show was unfortunately cancelled oh really yeah yeah it oh, was uh, officially cancelled last week yeah uh because of like all of the travel restrictions and you know various things that are going on with covid and stuff like that we can't be sure that the organizers who are all based in the eastern states would be able to make it over to run the show and whether or not the uh you know if something goes wrong and we end up in a lockdown in the middle of the the show time then uh, we're, we're going to be in trouble so as green decided, would put it that is a kick in the wrinkle beans 
It was. It was a little bit of a kick in the wrinkle beans, correct? <laughs> um, yeah, so that, I'm, I'm still, you know, I'm trying to catch up after that because obviously I devoted a lot of my time to preparing knife show stock mm. uh, and putting aside commissions, so now I'm going back to commission work and stuff like that, but I also don't have any income because I've been putting aside most of the stuff I've been doing for knife shows. So I'm trying to make it a, pro, uh, you know, Etsy approved, uh, you know, I can put photos out there and start selling stuff online again. So yeah, it's just been a little bit of a hectic couple of weeks. Um, a lot of been, a lot of personal stuff going on behind the scenes, nothing that no one needs to know about. So, uh, yeah, that's that's pretty much it. Working on my engraving, finished up a the Goliath Beetle inlay that I did. Um, I still can't wrap my mind around how you did that. It looks amazing. <laughs> yeah, it, it came out really good. I was really happy with it, and uh, I think that my favorite part of it was the fact that I inlaid a copper uh, a copper pattern in the back of the beetle that is almost impossible to see in certain angles because it's so well inlaid, like it's so flush. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I was, I was very, very pleased with that. And that all happened because of, uh, you know, it was on a whim. My tw- Twitch chat just told me what I was going to inlay into the back of that and just <laughs> went for it. And it came out really good. So yeah, I'm, I'm really happy with, uh, with my progress with my engraving and I'm trying to improve and, you know, move along in that area as well. But, uh, yeah, that's, that's pretty much been it. How about, uh, my, ooh, before we get to the, uh, before we get mm. to what you've done, my song of the week. Um, and, uh, it, it very much is in keeping with, uh, my, uh, my feelings about life at the moment. <laughs> uh, and I'm just going to look up the artist again. It's called, uh, the band that sings, it's called The Stupendium. Stupendium. The Stupendium. And, um, they sing, like, space, uh, space ballads. Okay. You know, they 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 kind of it's kind of a um, you know, steampunk space aesthetic. Oh, uh, yeah, they did that song The Fine Print for the Outer Worlds. That's That was song. a good song. That's the song I'm choosing for the song. Oh, really? That was, <laughs> yeah, they, that's yeah. a really good song. It's Yeah, it is a fantastic <laughs> song and uh the words like d- despite the fact that it's it's about like, you know, working on Mars or something like that. Um, the words are very, very accurate to, like, everyday life. Uh-huh. And, uh, I found myself bopping along to it a few times this week, just, you know, kind of rage-working, <laughs> if you like. Um, because, that, yeah, in, that in song the song, kind they of say... That sums up, you, uh, corporate life, too. Yeah, well, you know, they say you work to earn the right to work, to earn the right to give yourself, yourself the right to live, to earn the right to die. Mm-hmm. Um... So, uh, yeah, no, unfortunately it's, it's very accurate. And I actually came up in conversation in one of my Twitch streams recently where we were talking about the, uh, the, the kind of pain of the blacksmith of constantly having to make a tool to make a tool to make a tool to make the thing. (laughs) So, you know, you're working to work, to work, to work, to work. And, uh, yeah. So, uh, yeah, that's, that's my song. It's a very, very good song. It's very catchy. Um... Uh, and I love it. So, uh, yeah, with that being said, what's you been up to this last fortnight, Alex? Fending off burnout, to be honest. I, um, <sighs> I sort of got sick of just working on orders and working on orders and working on orders, and I just wanted to make something for me. And uh, I've been sort of throwing myself at this really elaborate project 
that people mm. have been seeing. It's a, a really fancy liner lock um, folding knife. It's all stainless Damascus with stainless Damascus bolsters and dyed blue box elder burl handle scales. And it's um, being my first ever liner lock, it's been throwing some challenges at me. Cause <laughs> um, but it's it's been sort of coming along. It's it's in the uh, all the mechanics are done now, and it, the fit up is good. So it's it's all finishing work now, and. I'm staring down the barrel of this thing that I made out of frustration and now I've got <laughs> like a huge amount of finishing work to do on it now that it works. And yeah. um I've sort of the the wind's gone out of my sails on it now. So it's the, so, so <laughs> the, the finishing work is always that moment though. It's like for me, I'll I'll forge, grind, heat treat and finish grind a blade and heat hand sand it all in like a day. Yeah. But then it'll take me six weeks to get around to actually starting the handlework because, yeah. <laughs> because by that point I've lost interest. <laughs> and I, I, I'm looking at, it and I know that it's going to be another one that I want. To, I'm going to want to keep at the end. Yeah, uh, but I, I can't start that precedent because people are like, "Oh, you got to keep one, keep one." I'm like, "Yeah, but if I let myself keep one, yeah. I want to keep another one." And yeah, I can't start that. That's the that's the tragedy of a professional craftsman is that you always want to keep the stuff you make but you, you fall you in love it, with everything you know if you keep it all then uh you you never make any money <laughs> yeah that's right so but it's it's coming along well i'm been pretty proud of it um haven't screwed anything up so badly that i wasn't able to fix it yet which is good um touch wood <laughs> yeah i'll knock it um, for you on on top of that, I've been working on that cutthroat razor that I talked about a couple of weeks ago. Um, mm-hmm. That's been shaping up pretty well. Nothing particularly noteworthy about that. It's just, it's cool. Uh, it's going to be the first um, blade that I have uh, done cold blowing on. Um, mm-hmm. And I've been practicing with the cold blowing and uh, nobody prepared me for how much that stuff stinks. Oh, yeah, it does. It's really bad. Like I'm a guy that can Only quite happily with the steel, though. Yeah, well, I'm a sort of guy that can quite happily be grinding away on antler all day long, and it doesn't bother mm-hmm. me. So you know, I, I have Crohn's disease. Smells don't bother me as much as they do <laughs> other people. And cold blue, whoo, mm-hmm. it bothers me. <laughs> it's got a, it's got a very acquired smell. It's this acrid sort of gets up the back of your nose kind of smell it's just it's mm. rough really rough but um the practice is going well um cold bluing evenly is an art form <laughs> i did warn you <laughs> yeah so i um i didn't want to just dive straight into doing it on the final piece um but it's there's not much work left to go on that and it should be heading out to the customer soon i'm pretty happy with how it looks um I've been making uh, sheaths for my Puko triplet. Two of the three are done. I, I hate making sheaths, and I especially hate making higher-end sheaths. By higher-end, I mean higher-end for me. Um, yeah. I, I'll i bang out a quick and simple sheath, but I put a lot of work into these knives, so I can't just stick them in any old sheath. And uh, I, just, I hate leather work. It's just not, not my bag. I just don't like thing, it. Yeah. yeah, so I've been sort it's of like- just... It's like yeah. sheet metal, sheet metal work. Yeah. <laughs> You'll never be an armorer. <laughs> no. Um, I've been making heaps of Damascus for this sword build. 
um, making some uh, more Damascus for um, Damascus-clad Kumai, um, mm. which is going for an order that was made months ago and I've been really behind on getting to. Um, but since I'm, I only need a little bit for that order, which is really frustrating, um, mm. but I figured while I'm going to make it, I've been talking to um, Alex Boschwizen from Bull Blades. He was oh, yeah. Alex yep. Steele's apprentice for a while. Yeah, we're still um, trying to get him on the show at some point. Yeah, he's keen to. He just um, doesn't have the time yet, but he wants to be wants to be on the show. But he has been making rings recently, right. um, and he really wants to try making a ring out of Damascus clad kumai. Um, okay, cool. Yeah, and I I said I'll I've got to make some anyway, so I'll send you a bit. And he's over the moon at that. Mm. Um, I'll probably be able to have enough pieces to send him a, a couple of bits to to practice on ring size blanks. Nice. Um. And I've got to make some other uh, fairly special steel for um, that dagger build, that um, that really high-end dagger, which the guy wants me to go all out on. I sent him yep. the design for it, uh, and he's really happy with it. So that was good. Cool. It's always good when you get that customer that does that. <laughs> mm-hmm. yep. Let's go for it. Um, but the biggest thing from the last fortnight was that I completed and will be releasing soon uh, my first online course, video course. Um, mm. It's like almost six hours. It's like five hours and 48 minutes of just super mega ultra deep dive from raw materials to finished product on making friction folders. Um, and had a lot of fun making it to be honest it's a lot of work but i i, I did enjoy doing it because it, it's like really deep dive mm. um anybody would be able to make one by the end of it um no matter what level of skill they're at so and to prove that my wife is actually going to be doing it she's she's start, started oh, cool. going through the process um she's not done blacksmithing <laughs> before um so she's um she's pretty excited and um yeah i'm 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 pretty proud of it cuz as everyone knows I, I like trying to teach and mm. um having students at my forge has just proven to be a scheduling nightmare uh and interrupts my workflow a lot so um i wanted to make the move into sort of video courses so i can still do the teaching but not actually have to um have people physically there so um We'll see how it goes. If it uh, goes well, I'll I'll do more of different various things. But uh, yeah, it's a big sort of pet project of mine for a while, and it was good to finally get it out. So um, yeah, cool. within a few days of this um, episode airing, and it should be should be a, a live thing on the internets. So my song of the week is um, sort of a reference to. Uh, sort of a personal thing for me I, I i really am a deep lover of poetry i never used to be but i had a, an english teacher all through high school he kept putting me back in his class every every year um because he was determined to make me love poetry and appreciate it properly <laughs> um you will appreciate poetry yeah um and, and it's it all started because i told him i hate shakespeare and he took it personally. Oh, God, I hate Shakespeare. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> um, but by the end of high school, I just had this deep, everlasting love of poetry and verse and, and 
Um, I've always wished that I, I've dabbled into my own poetry and writing song lyrics and all sorts of things, but I've always, as many of us have, wished that I had what it took to do the that great that ever you know everlasting poetry that never dies like you know the work of edgar Allan poe or or shakespeare yep. or you know it's, it's just stuff that seems to be above the written word it's almost on its own level and there's a song that actually encapsulates that frustration of never being able to reach that um, and I love the song, and it's by Florence and the Machine, and it's called All This and Heaven Too. Uh, it's right. a really um, sort of heart-wrenchingly amazing song about her frustration of just never being able to grasp what it is that makes words capable of moving a person's heart. Mm. And no matter what she does or, or how hard she tries, she can never achieve that. Um, and she would give anything to be able to, and it's a it's a very very moving song, and I can hear in it the same frustration that I feel myself. So, so. In, in actual fact, she touched you with words yeah, about the, the being, not being able to yeah. touch people. <laughs> That's right. It's kind of like when someone calls something indescribable. That itself is an adjective. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yep. Yeah. Words are a funny so. thing. They are, uh, but that if you haven't heard that song, um, yeah, give it a listen. You can crank it up. She's got a beautiful voice. She does. So um, we have a buttload of listener emails. Do you want to do them first? (laughs) (laughs) Do you want to get to them first, or do you want to go into the inspirations first? Let's get to them first, I think. We've we've held off on on our viewers long enough, or our listeners long enough. Fair enough. Well, our first one comes from Steve. He says, Alex, Sam, brass. I have a bunch of it and can continue getting a steady amount of it. The size chunks I get are one inch diameter, about two to three inch long. I have made a few spaces and guards with it, but the size is not great for most projects I want to make. I have tried moving this stuff with a hammer and it will move, but not well or easily. Cold, it doesn't want to move much at all and cracks if you get too aggressive with it. Hot, it moves better, but still wants to crack if you're not careful. But the worst part is, if you get it even a little too hot, it crumbles. I was thinking of melting it down and either casting it into a rough shape or just making bars. My question is, are there any health risks melting brass? The green vapors are slightly concerning. If there are health risks, what would you do to mitigate them? Anyway, thanks for all your efforts and the wonderful advice and expertise for John. Steve. Thanks, Steve. Well, there's health yeah. risks for liquidating any, uh, liquidating, liquefying any metal. Yes, but with brass specifically, because that green vapor is zinc. Zinc, baby. And zinc is a heavy metal akin to lead and uh, can cause heavy metal poisoning. And not the good so, kind of heavy metal, like definitely. Yeah, no. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, uh, melting brass is always a bastard. I've done quite a bit of it. I've also tried forging brass, it's also a pain in the butt. Mm-hmm. Brass is the devil's material. Like, seriously, <laughs> it is the worst. It looks fantastic when it's finished up properly, but holy crap, I wish I didn't have to work with brass. Mm. Um, because, yeah, it, it, it is just a pain. It's the if curse you... of every beginner Mokimagane creator as well. <laughs> yes, so um, 
If you want to work with brass, uh, you can forge it, and as you've found, obviously it does crumble quite badly if you overheat it. Uh, it also cracks really badly. If you're gonna forge brass, uh, I advise treating it like aluminium, uh, in that you heat it up very slowly, very gently, and use a piece of wood, like a piece of just standard wood, and heat the brass up until when you touch the wood to the brass, it starts burning the wood. Um, and once it's at that temperature, you can forge it. It's not going to mitigate your cracking entirely, but it's going to be better than trying to shoot for a random temperature somewhere about a thousand degrees or just below, uh, where it, it melts. Uh, if you're going to cast it and you want to mitigate the danger, A, wear your PPE. Mm-hmm. Um, Good ventilation. Yeah, preferably a fume-rated, um, respirator. If you don't have one, I would suggest getting one. Uh, and do it outside. <laughs> With a but fan. Yeah, yeah I, I, I don't forge brass anymore, uh, because it's just a pain. So if I want brass of a certain size, I will cast it. But yeah, as I said, I'll do it outside and I'll have a fan blowing across my shoulders and I'll, you know, I try and temperature control my furnace as much as I can to get it just to brass melting temperature. Because once you get to brass boiling temperature is when it starts to f- off gas zinc and that's mm. uh, that's when it's not fun i actually got smoked out of my shed the first time i melted brass because i Quite filled the place with zinc fumes yet another reason to invest in one of those um higher temperature rated uh, infrared thermometers absolutely either that or a uh, or a thermocouple mm. so yeah hopefully that helps steve our next email comes from paul he says, hey, guys, I just listened to your show about safety and forging and the stuff about people who say, I've been doing this for years and I'm fine, really struck a chord. Whenever I hear this, I mentally change it to, I've been doing this for years and so far I've been unlucky <laughs> and gotten away with it. Accurate. Very accurate. Anyway, the actual question I had was on starting forging. I've been making knives for a few years now, and because it was... Uh, what I wanted to do, I just started making knives. I see some people now saying, don't start with knives, start with tools like tongs and other stuff for at least a year, then do knives. What do you think of this idea? I get the idea behind it, but I also wonder how much someone is going to learn if it's not something that they're interested in. Is it better to spend a year learning general smithing by making tools or spend a year making knives knowing you're going to junk most of them but you're enjoying it more? All the best, Paul. That's an interesting question. question. I mean, I've always taken the whole do something for a year as more of a a general rule of thumb than an actual, like, rule of it has to be a year. Um... My thoughts know. on I, it, really. I'll get, uh, I'll get your thoughts first, Alex, because <laughs> I'm yeah, very complicated. I, I, I want to answer your question with another question. Why are you doing it? Are you seeking to become a great bladesmith of renown? If that's the case, then I would say absolutely you should learn forging technique and, and, and push yourself to learn as much of it as possible in order to uh, change your, uh, challenge your, your skill set, get to that... Um, like do what Lin Ray does and forge finish things as close as possible and, and that sort of thing, and you will make better knives. But mm-hmm. if you're just doing this as a hobby that you're having fun with, who cares? Have yeah. fun. Stay safe, but have fun. Or yeah. this blacksmithing, stay largely safe and have fun. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, I I uh, come from the, the school of if you want to 
bladesmith, if you want to actually forge knives out, it pays to know how to forge. Mm. Right? Otherwise, you're just a stock removalist who does a little bit of hot tapping. Um, you know, I, I know quite a few people who got into bladesmithing with the idea of becoming a, a quote-unquote bladesmith uh, and only doing bladesmithing. But the thing is, is that they never learned most of the forging techniques necessary uh, in other projects. And so, therefore, they could never get a decent finished product out off the anvil and therefore spent a lot of time at the grinder fixing their problems uh, for years and years before they decided to then start doing tools um but the other thing of course is that as a bladesmith uh as anyone who runs a forge you're gonna need custom tooling you're gonna need you know multiple sets of tongs you're going to need you know different styles of hammer and stuff and you might be able to be in a position where you can buy all of that from other people but you're robbing yourself of the opportunity to a learn certain forging techniques and b build up your uh your muscle memory so making tools is both a benefit to your you know your smithing ability but also just to your tooling um so yeah i don't know i i from a personal perspective i would say that if you want to pick up a hammer and swing it at any kind of steel you should learn basic blacksmithing techniques uh, alongside your bladesmithing uh With i understand it. that you know i understand that you don't really want to make tools that's not your aim but it is helpful with the um, classes and things that I've run in the past, I've, I've, most of the people turn up, um, particularly blokes, turn up and they they want to learn to forge a knife right away. And um, I don't I don't let them. <laughs> yeah. I make them go through everything else because it's like you know that movie Dodgeball, where he's like, if you can, <laughs> you can dodge, dodge a wrench, <laughs> you can dodge a ball. I'm like, if you can forge a leaf, you can forge a knife. <laughs> and I yeah, I just accurate. I I tell them you know if, if you're gonna learn to do something you know learn to do it right walk before you can run yeah um it's much like i don't let anyone do my uh like my tongue making or knife making classes until they've done my intro class which is basically teaches you how to move steel with a hammer mm. um because and and most people get a little bit like there's been quite a few that have got pretty shitty because they're like i don't really need to learn how to make a bottle opener because all i want to do is make knives and then they come and make the bottle opener and they have a shit of a time trying to make it and they go, oh, okay, now I understand. Yeah, uh, <laughs> um, yeah so, I mean, it, it's like if your eventual aim is to make swords, I would highly suggest making knives first. If your aim is to forge things, whether they be blades or axes or whatever, forging other stuff like leaves and tools and blanket pins and stuff like that is actually very handy in building up your muscle memory. And also, like, really, if you've had a really shitty week at work and you're just fanging to get home on the weekend and, and do some forging, what are you going to do if the, on the first hit your bladesmithing tongs break? <laughs> yeah. And you're just, well, you're just going to wait a week for shipping of some new tongs or something? Or are you going to, while the forge is hot, make some new tongs? True. And I, I think my last point would be you, you will start out bladesmithing with scrap steel right that's that's where we all start but eventually you're going to be using high carbon purchased steel and if you're using purchased high carbon steel to forge your blades out if you're willing to sacrifice 80 dollars worth of steel to come out with a single knife blank 
because you stuffed up the forging of the other five that you would have got out of that length of steel, mm-hmm. um, then that's fine. You can do that. But, you know, I, I'd much prefer to screw up a whole bunch of forgings on some, you know, 11 cent pieces of mild steel uh, in the first place. Oh, yeah. No, learn to forge on some cheap stuff before I learn to forge on the, he- on the expensive stuff. Get a stuff. coil spring. There's about 20 knives worth in there. Exactly, but you have to learn how to blacksmith in order to forge out coil spring. That's right, <laughs> and sometimes even more than that. Like we've how many episodes of Forged and Fire have you seen people fumbling around trying to straighten out a piece of coil spring? And like yes. they've never seen it before in their lives. Straightening is just another form of bending, and bending is something that you do in blacksmithing all the time. It's but like the main so many thing. people who get into blacksmithing don't learn how to like to get into bladesmithing don't learn how to bend stuff because you don't need to bend stuff in blades yeah if you can learn to taper and bend you can do like 90 percent of blacksmithing <laughs> <laughs> pretty, pretty much taper, like turning turning squared around and round to square and tapering and bending are like the three things that you need to learn in order to become a decent blacksmith and then the only thing that's different from there is then beveling in blades which is just tapering in one direction yeah tapering <laughs> In a very very specific direction. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's not super complex, but yeah, uh, learning to forge all kinds of things is going to help you in your bladesmithing anyway. Uh, it's going to open the door to various shapes that you wouldn't be able to get anyway. Uh, if you wanted to make integrals, for in- instance, good luck making integrals if you've only ever forged on flat stock before. Yeah. Well, I hope you've got a lot of belts put aside if you plan on <laughs> vegan knife making an integral. <laughs> I've seen it done, but yeah, I don't want to do it. Mm-hmm. Well, Paul, hopefully that has inspired you to make a set of tongs. We do have a cool challenge going at the moment, by the way. We do. <laughs> Very cool. And there are anyway. some amazing tongs coming out. Mm-hmm. Um, so our next email comes from Henry Davis, and he says, Gentlemen, just the, FYI, uh, just the FYI, I'm not a bladesmith. I'm a metal caster. I specialize in old school US Navy castings and memorabilia. I would like to do a dive knife project. Navy divers, rightly so, are very proud. And I have some as personal friends. So if nothing else, Christmas present ideas. I want to make custom hardware for a US Navy Mark III Mod Zero dive knife. All brass. That I can do, no issues. I'm looking to dress the knife to look more like the older Mark V dive knife. What I have no idea how to do is make a metal, specifically brass, scabbard. Well, I could cast one, but it will weigh more than the entire knife. Do you guys have any suggestions on metal scabbard? Some videos I could watch, another maker or smith I should hit up, or a book? Thanks in advance. Henry Davis, PS, great podcast, guys, keep it up. Well, that's an interesting question. It is, because, I mean, casting, I, you really need, th- like, thick walls on things. You wouldn't you want do, to try yeah. and do something lightweight. You'd have to, if you wanted to cast it, you'd have to cast it thick-walled. With and then the, grind it back. And then, yeah, grind it back, which would be a pain. Mm. Um, my advice would be sheet metal work. Um, yeah, in that's that what I was aspect. thinking. Around a and I'd actually do it around a core. So I would do it around a wood core or a, uh, you mm-hmm. know, in the event that you're doing a dive knife, I would imagine you could make something out of something like Del- Delrin. Uh, Delrin plastic uh, and shape a thin metal brass a thin brass metal sheet around that and then solder it closed yeah and then yeah either silver solder it or uh, braze it closed Um, as far as like 
places to watch like videos on that i'm not familiar like i said uh earlier in the show funnily enough i brought sheet metal work in any aspect is not my thing i would say look up armoring videos yes because uh most of their work is done cold uh for like uh initial shaping it's not they don't really heat it up all that much except when they're doing really large roundings and things like that um that are very aggressive on the metal um it's so it, I, it might be a good if you're going to be wrapping a uh, sheet brass around something it might be a good <laughs> way to look into it yeah. uh if i was uh, if i had a gun to my head and i had to do it i'd probably cheat instead and mash a brass tube flat yeah. um and to make like you know hopefully get something that would when mashed flat will give enough space for the blade but also be wide like by be wide enough for the blade as well uh, mm. And then I just cut a point on it and braise the point closed um, to create the the tip of the the scabbard. That would probably be the way I would go because I'm a cheater. <laughs> Essentially, what you'd be doing, uh, you could do, is sort of like think about making uh, like making a giant habaki. Pretty much, yeah, yeah. Because I mean, the process of making a habaki on a tanto or wakazashi or a katana or something like that is kind of what you're looking for, really, to fit snugly around the blade enough. Although, mm. I would very much follow what Sam said, and instead of doing it around the blade, do it around an inner core um, to prevent scratching and things like that. Delrin would actually be a really good, or any sort of HDPE plastic. Yeah, would yeah, be you could even really good. make like PVC if you you know heat molded it properly yeah and then follow habaki technique to wrap brass around that and then um silver solder it or braise it closed uh, i don't know what you do for the end but cap yeah but you could actually form a, a a cap almost like a bowl and wrap that around with a similar sort of method yeah it's an interesting project and i uh, hope you if you do attempt some stuff then uh please let us know send us an email yeah. Unfortunately, yeah, we're probably the wrong people to ask. <laughs> but uh, yeah, it's a very interesting yeah, tr- thought experiment. Trust us. To uh, of all the people on the internet that you could ask this question, you ask the two people that are massive Japanese blade fans. It's like try hibaki techniques. <laughs> Actually, I, I will say uh, <laughs> one thing that I notice a lot of. Uh, look up the word chape. C H A P E. Um, because that is the tip, the metal tip covering that covers the tips of scabbards and swords. And I think the build method of that, which is you make two uh, bowl-like sections and then solder them around the rim, might actually even, be your best bet. Yeah, even on a large leather sheath that usually often had, especially on like um, uh, cutlasses and things like that, would still have one of those in a non-ferrous metal. Yeah, it would be brass or, or copper or... Um, so yeah, that's, that's yeah. a really good, that's a really so good yeah, idea. I, you might actually be able to create two halves of the scabbard uh, shape and then solder them together around the edges to create your final uh, your final piece. I'd probably be that actually would probably be my my method mm. um, using techniques similar to like Uchidachi or chasing and repose. Make a uh, a negative in a piece of wood and then basically mm. forge it into that piece of wood yeah. to create the shape and then yeah mirror them together. So you actually get to see in Alex Steele's recent video where he did the gauntlet, um, he yeah. used, uh, uh, in the video that he was watching that actually had half of a pipe 
laid down yeah. into some wood and they use that as a mold so the same sort of thing but you'd make a negative of the blade shape yeah, yeah. that would work that would work well yeah that's there you, there you go yeah. we're keen to <laughs> see how you go one. with that so email yeah. us photos when you when you work it out and tell us what you did yeah please do because it is a point of interest and it might be something that i want to try or alex wants to try in the future so you know yeah. we all want to learn all right our next email is from micah ziegler and he says hey guys i listen to at least two episodes a day while i'm working and i've been building my list of essential tools and wish list tools haha <laughs> uh, we all have one of those um, oh, <laughs> it goes longer every day as well as adding to my list of artisans i follow on instagram i was wondering what your recommendation is for a first hammer I have a Picard cross peen on my Amazon wish list, but have yet to purchase it as I'm waiting to actually find a regular location for forging. Haha. <laughs> but after listening to you guys, I feel like I should use a dog's head hammer and start with using it first rather than learning on a cross peen and then transitioning, but I can't find an affordable one anywhere. I only see them on Etsy and eBay for $100 plus. I eventually want to get my hands on a Sam Towns dog's head. But until then, <laughs> what's a good American budget brand? Cheers to your creations, guys. Micah Ziegler. P.S. Thanks for the info on Gunblue for making a polished black piece. Listened to a later episode. Got me curious. Do either of you know the effect of etching W2 and then Gunbluing that or vice versa? It's an interesting question. I've never it tried is. that. I have done something similar, not on W2, um, but I have done it on 1084 just to see what happens. Uh, and the, 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 the basically the short answer is is that it kills the hormone because uh, Gunblue causes immediate oxidization. Did he say anything about a hormone? Well, he's talking about W2, I would imagine that he's talking no, about... No, I think he's talking about because when you, when you etch it, it goes black. Well, yeah, I mean, in that case, then you're just darkening the already etched surface, which is something I've done on a couple of knives. Mm -hmm. um, basically, the etch will turn it grey, uh, the, the uh, gun blue will turn it black, and uh, because it's a porous surface rather than a... A shiny one. It'll uh, it'll turn it a flat matte black, which uh, kind of looks really cool if you're looking for that kind of uh, finish. Hmm. But if you're talking specifically about hormones, which I, like I that, the way I read that um, sounded like he was talking about etching hormones or something like that on W two. Um, I think he was because he was uh, in the email. He actually um, says using gun blue to make a polished black piece. So I was thinking yeah. maybe he thought about using W two because it etches black. Yeah, well, I mean, like like I said, um, the when you etch any high carbon steel, it'll turn black out of the ferric. But then once you rub off the oxides, it's gone. Mm. Basically, all that gun blue does is cause rapid oxidization of the surface. Uh, and so, yeah, if you're doing an etch and then bluing, then you're going to end up with a nice deep black, matte black color. Uh, if you want polished black, then you don't want to etch it first. Yeah. As to your question about the hammers, I would not start with a dog's head. A dog's no. head hammer is more um, once you're used to hammering, you move to a dog's head, not the other way around. I mean, there are there are cultures, obviously the Japanese, who use dog's heads almost, you know, completely for their work. Um, the the dog's head hammer is is a very usable uh, usable and useful hammer, but it's mostly used in swordsmithing in uh, in Japanese cultures, and therefore. 
transfers very well to bladesmithing uh, in general for, you know, us Europeans. Um, I love dog's heads. Everyone knows I love dog's heads. As you mentioned, you want to get a Sam Towns dog's head at some point. I've got one uh, and I can is... speak for their awesomeness. <laughs> well, it's very cool. Um, yeah, no, I would highly recommend a good cross pain or straight pain hammer, uh, as your first go-to hammer around two pounds, two and a half pounds. I actually, um, ages ago bought like a cheap, cheap Chinese made, um, cross pain hammer, uh, the brand is, I don't know how to pronounce it properly, but it's uh, Kasebi or something. K-S-E-I-B-I. It was $26 delivered. Um, 1.8 pounds, which I believe is the perfect hammer weight for general purpose, purpose forging for somebody that's getting started. Um, yep. You can do a large range of stuff. In fact, Roy Adams, it's his favorite weight. Um, mm-hmm. And it was for a 1.8 pound Kasebi hammer, uh, it was... Uh, cross peen nice wooden handle on it um i believe it says it's hickory but who knows um but that that thing um probably two and a half years on and remember i do this full time and have been doing it full time for that entire two and a half years is still on its original handle Uh, i have sanded off the orange nonsense that was on it um (laughs) they put like a paint on there um, yeah. And it's lacquered, and I've sanded all that back, and I've um, wood burned the handle uh, so that the whole thing's black, um, and just it just made it mine, kind of. You know, <laughs> I had to put an extra wedge in because it's so dry down here mm. during summer. That's no humidity whatsoever. Um, that it needed an additional wedge. But to be honest, I have used that thing almost on a daily basis, and for twenty six bucks, you couldn't ask for a better starter hammer. To be honest. Yeah, I, I bought a like a thirty dollar Trojan fiberglass handled um, three pounds cross pane from Bunnings, and I immediately went home, cut the fiberglass handle off, and yes. put a spotted gum handle on it. Good man, <laughs> and th- and that thing lasted me about four years of forging before the face finally cracked. Yeah, um, it wasn't it wasn't a very hard hammer. Uh, I don't know what it was, what the metal it was made out of. It was soft but also brittle for some reason. <laughs> um. You know, it wasn't cast iron, but I don't know. It was sold as a demolition hammer. I don't think they were expecting it to be used for forging. <laughs> but, you know, it served four years of very, very, very heavy use, given that, mm. you know, I swing my hammer quite hard. Mm. Um, and yeah, no, like a, a good cross peen will do a lot of work for you, a lot of good work for you. I would highly advise getting a cheap shit hammer to start with and then save up for some decent, um, properly made blacksmithing hammers uh most production hammers like that you buy anywhere are not going to be suited for blacksmithing work that's why there is such a large market for custom blacksmithing hammers is because blacksmithing is a very specific job for Mm. hammers but no company is going to stock hammers for specifically for blacksmiths because it's not as common as it used to be Um, yeah there there is a brand called nordic which makes quite nice hammers however you will pay for them yeah, and they're they're mostly farriers hammers. Uh, yes, rounding, very much or so. Turning, turning or rounding hammers, and and that is one way to go if you want to get a hammer. You can get a farriers turning hammer pretty easily because farriers are still around and they still swing hammers occasionally. Yeah, um, but they're not they're not always the best for general purpose blacksmithing use. I I much prefer a square face to a, a round face, uh, unless mm. I'm doing blades, then I like a round face. Yeah, me too. Yeah. <laughs> 
hopefully that answers your question um and uh, we'll go on to our next one i don't know their name it's just the letter j it's not j nielsen though i don't think well you never (laughs) says hey he says hey guys i hope you guys are staying well and healthy i've greatly enjoyed your podcast and wanted to write in to express my gratitude and ask a question i'm a healthcare worker and this last year has been incredibly difficult both both professionally and personally as it has for everyone bladesmithing has emerged as an interest and hobby that i've enjoyed watching reading about and now taking a class and setting up my own forge it's helped me in tough times my question is about gas forge lining I purchased a commercial single burner forge, Hell's Forge brand if it matters, and applied the included refractory cement and completed curing and have used the forge. However, I butchered the refractory cement and exposed the underlying ceramic fiber blanket due to sloppy fire brick handling. What can I use to patch or repair it? Thanks, Jay. Oh, I'm really glad that you have found the solace that forging can offer. It is a unique experience that can only be experienced and not described. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so you can buy um, small bags of refractory cement, basically, and use them to yeah. patch it. As simple as yeah, that. You um, can buy it, buy it by the kilo sometimes. ITC 100 is a good um, forge lining. That's actually what they use to line uh, nuclear reactors. Um, <laughs> and most uh, knife making supply companies will sell that. I think Jantz Knife Making sells it. Um, I'm not sure if Alex Steel Co. sells it, um, but yeah, that's that's one that's pretty popular. Satanite is another. I'm not sure of any suppliers in the U.S. for Satanite. I'm not sure who makes it at the moment. So um, I I use Duracast 1600. Um, yep. Which I'm not sure if that's going to be available where you are, but it's worked incredibly well for me. Yeah, no, um, it, like, yeah, any, any high temperature rated, um, basically any high temperature rated sort of refractory cement is going to be good for purpose. If it's on the floor of the forge, I would recommend a high density, um, mm-hmm. refractory cement. So ITC 100 or Duracast, um, the medium density and low density stuff's better for the walls and roof. Uh, it's got higher refractive index, but it also is less resilient, uh, against impact. So, yeah. uh, yeah. Those would be my, those would be my uh, choices. But it's a pretty easy thing to do. Just pretty much like, uh, like painting. Just get get your yeah. hands messy and wipe it in while the forge is off. Yeah, well, yeah, hopefully, uh, <laughs> especially if while the forge is cold as well. Yes, <laughs> it helps. Let it let it uh, chill for a while. So hopefully that answers your question, Jay. And our final email of the day is from Rich Larson. And he says, do you have any recommendations on buffing up stabilized wood? In the past, I used CA glue to finish my handles. I was able to get a real nice finish with that. Now I would like to try and get a nice buffed finish. I seem to remember a podcast where you discussed oil finishes. Would the oil absorb into wood after it is stabilized? Thanks, Rich Larson. Right. Thanks so for the question, Rich. It's an interesting I'll question. I'll leave this to the Woodmaster for the first. The Woodmaster. <laughs> Now, um, wood is kind of like a bunch of straws. If you were to take a a big bundle of drinking straws and bundle them together. Um, And when you do a complete stabilization, including void filling, it actually can fill all of the uh, cellulose structures in the the wood with um, the, the resin or whatever they end up using. However, you will notice that if you take a stabilized block of wood 
And if you were to um, fill a bowl with water and stand it up on its end in that bowl of water, it will the le- water level will go down. And if you were to take that block out and rest it on a bench and leave it there for a while, after a while a puddle of water would form underneath the uh, the block because there are still going to be voids in there. So the the water won't really affect the wood in terms it, it it's stabilized it, it doesn't warp and swell in the way that unstabilized wood does when the cellulose structures suck up that moisture um, and normally you would seal it with a, an oil that polymerizes which not all woods uh, not all oils do there are a lot of art, like uh, synthetic oils that will um, and uh, of the natural oils, I believe tongue oil is the only one that will natural a natural oil that will fully polymerize. Um, Linseed oil will fully polymerize, but it takes years. I'm never sure it fully polymerizes. Boiled linseed oil will, but yes. that's got added drying components and things like that. So if you're looking for just natural oils, then you can use tongue oil, yeah. tongue oil but it, that also takes ages to dry yes. ages and ages and you got to do multiple like a lot more coats than you normally would with stabilized woods most people use waxes on them and then buff the wax um, yeah i use renaissance wax so. yeah and axe wax is a very popular brand as well um that's mm-hmm. been making quite a splash recently uh, I know even my my favorite brand of, of uh, knife handle finishing products, Constantia Organic Finishes, have recently released a wood finishing wax. But waxes are the way to go if you're going to be buffing stabilized timber because, um, because it's stabilized, it will nov- never fully fill those voids um, yep. just because of the way... It depends on the timber, obviously. Uh, some timbers are more dense than others, Um blackwood is actually famously dense if you have a stabilized piece of blackwood you will notice as soon as you grab it how heavy it is compared to any other wood that you <laughs> you could pick up um Absolutely. but yeah you try op, opt for waxes over oils um you can do a full if you want to bring the richness of the tone of the wood out you can use mineral oils on it first and then wax it yeah but uh, and, any um, any, any you- wooden handle is going to need maintenance if you're looking for that high shine uh, from stabilized woods, um, you need to take it to a slightly higher grit than you would normally take wood. Um, you know, for a CA glue finish, you can get a really shiny finish off of 400 grit. Um, but if you want to buff sa- um, buff stabilized, uh, I recommend going to a minimum of 800, 1200, 1200 around the yeah. uh, And when you buff it, use only soft cotton. Uh, and try and use either white or pink uh, buffing compound. I prefer white because it blends quite well if it ends up in any of the pores. Um, because pink or green or um, you know black sticks especially, out like dog's bollocks. It makes it look horrible. Mm. Um, to be honest, so I think yeah. the white does too most of the time. Well, yeah, you you don't want to use a lot. <laughs> Take your time with it. A lot of people, when they um, if they're not used to soft wheels, they'll tend to push in a little bit too hard. Mm. Um, and if you've taken it up to like a twelve hundred grit hand sanded finished, and then you try and go to a soft wheel, you want to just you know clear your calendar and just sit there and take your time, and be gently raising that buffed level up. Um, and you that's that's the only way to get those really really top results but just like a finely polished steel surface 
a finely buffed and polished handle, the slightest bump is going to scuff it. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, very, very thin layer of... Um, I, I advise Renaissance wax because it's one of the hardest waxes mm. out there. I and it's also it. And it smells completely great. Yeah, and it's chemically inert as well. So, you know, it's not going to affect the composition, chemical composition of your wood. Not that it should with being stabilized. But, no. um, yeah, uh, thin layer of Renaissance wax. Uh, let that dry a little bit and then take it out to a soft cotton buffer. It, at that point, you probably don't even need a uh, buffing compound. But if you want to use some, use a little bit of, uh, of white. Yeah. All right, so with emails out of the way, who has been inspiring you this last fortnight, Sam? Uh, that is a very good question, Alex. And uh, the man who has been inspiring me has been an inspiration for quite a while. Um, all the way back when I started watching Arctic Fire and um, a bunch of other stuff. And I believe I've used him as an inspiration before. If I haven't, then I've been fully remiss. But uh, he specializes in making historical uh, metalwork pieces. Uh, mostly historical swords and knives uh, in pattern-welded materials, mostly. And he also specializes in making uh, bloomery steel. And he's quite famous in the UK for holding uh, several hammer-ins a year where he smelts multiple blooms at a time. I think you have used uh, this guy before. Yeah, and makes stuff. And he's been recently working on a lot of historical, uh, you know, Viking, Scandinavian kind of stuff, um, and arming swords, and I've really been enjoying his work. And I also recently had the opportunity to watch uh, Outlaw King on Netflix, um, about Robert the Bruce um, and his, you know, uprising against the English. And, uh, he made a lot of the weapons for that movie. Uh, he made a lot of the, the on, on screen weapons. Um, so the, the maker's name is Owen Bush mm. and, uh, yeah, he's, he is a fantastically learned bladesmith over in the, uh, over in the UK and he makes fantastic pieces, but he's also really generous with his knowledge. He really loves teaching people about, uh, various aspects of bladesmithing and blacksmithing and, um, he has had Alex Steele over his shop. He regularly has large gathering hammer-ins where he allows people to use his power hammers and all that kind of stuff. Uh, he is just a fantastic dude, and I, I hope to one day meet him. Oh, we um, should have him on the show. No, uh, maybe, maybe. Oh, and if you ever hear this, uh, that would be <laughs> awesome, man. But, um, yeah, no, uh, I originally came across uh, Owen back when he did Arctic Fire 2012, and he actually helped them smelt the bloomery steel for the uh, artifact that they ended up making uh, over that week. Hmm. And uh, yeah, no, ever since then, his work with uh, bloomery steel and, and that kind of thing has been uh, inspiring as hell. But uh, I've really enjoyed his recent work on herringbone pattern um, laminated uh, Viking saxes. Uh, because I recently did a how to forge on wrought iron spined <laughs> 10, 1084 edged uh, broken back saxes that kind of fitted really well with uh, what I was doing at the time. Mm. But uh, yeah, you can find him as Owen Bush Bladesmith on Instagram. Um, I'm just going to make sure it's, yeah, or Owen Bush Bladesmith, all one word. 
and he does some fantastic stuff. I believe he's still on Facebook as well, uh, and you can find a couple of videos on his YouTube channel as well. Yeah. Who's been inspiring you, Alex? Um, it's actually someone I think you might have had him as uh, inspiration in the past, um, but if you... Um Actually, uh, one of our people that emailed in, Paul, would probably get a kick out of this video that inspired me. Mm-hmm. Um, it's actually Nick Rossi, who uh, goes yes. by Nick Rossi Knives at um, on, on Instagram. He recently posted um, a reel on Instagram that was a three-minute video that showed this really clear demonstration on how to hand-forge with no guillotines or power hammers or presses or anything just hand forged through pure hammer skill an integral preform for a like an integral chef knife um it was beautiful it was the the technique was flawless um i think the most advanced tool that he used was a post vice (laughs) yeah nick nick makes me sick with how good he is (laughs) it was just it was so good and the thing is like i have never done an integral knife before. Mm-hmm. I frankly, it's, it's one of those things that I would like to do, but it's sort of, I've got the guillotine tool and I could do it with that and everything, but it kind of felt like cheating. And I didn't really think of my hammering technique as up to par to be able to hammer one out the, you know, in I'm doing air quotes here for all the listeners at home, the proper way. <laughs> um, and especially being able to do one the proper way out of a block of Damascus or something like that and actually not like forge welding on bits on the side to get the integral, mm. but to actually forge it out properly and have that flow of the pattern as I've talked about in the past with, um, uh, I think it was uh, Nick Anger's knives with the, the flow that mm. he has at those transition points um, to actually create that is cool and i've wanted to try it for ages but it's been one of those things like you know how like everyone's got those things yeah i want to try that but it's sitting in the back of my mind and it's like i'll get to it another time um because f- at the moment it seems like uh, it's too too much effort to actually go and learn that and then um i see this video as this three minute video and nick rossi just bangs out this preform this beautiful preform using all just good cross peen work and it was just so cleanly done and clearly shown and it straight up i saw it and i thought i could do that it 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 kind of annoys me that like he does it a week after i did it how to integral (laughs) on my youtube channel and he made it look so much easier (laughs) i was like damn it nick yeah, it was, it's it's a. Uh, I, I highly recommend going and watching the video if you've ever wondered, you know, a, a clean way to do it by hand. And of course, Sam's video. Um, but uh, I've used Sam as my inspiration before. So. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, no, Nick Nick is fantastic, and he's got a number of videos on his YouTube channel, uh, or I believe it's the New England School of Metalwork channel. Yes, on how to forge various knives, including a chef's knife and a camp knife and stuff like that. And I've used those as direct inspiration for some of the, the designs of knife that I have made in the past. So, yeah, um, yeah, definitely yeah. worth following him. That that direct inspiration of seeing something so well laid out to think your immediate thought be, I could do that. Or I feel like I could give that a go and probably have good results. Um, 
that that was about as pure as inspiration as I've had in a long time. So, um, awesome. Yeah, it was it was it was a really cool feeling because um, sometimes you know you get caught up. Like recently, I've been doing a lot of sort of quote unquote higher end projects for me, like compared mm-hmm. to the stuff that I've done in the past. And most of that thing, like ninety percent of that, is done in the finishing room. Yep. It's really cool to have something that drives you to like, I want to forge something better. And so I haven't had much inspiration in that regard of just getting out to the forge and trying something that I haven't done before. Mm. Um, and that made me want to do that. Now I've just got to find the time. Yeah. And, and I mean, one of the great things about Nick's how-to videos is that he is a very traditionalist kind of blacksmith. Mm. Hammer, anvil, maybe a post vice. Yeah. Uh, he does do a couple of jobs with power hammers and stuff, but a lot of his work is very hand forged and he loves forged finished stuff. Um, one of my things I really liked recently is his hand punched and forged titanium guards Mm -hmm. for his hidden tang knives, which are all forged to finish, which it's insane. Mm -hmm. Just insane. But yeah, no, I, um, I, I really love that his stuff is so approachable. Titanium guards for when you like the balance point right where it is. Yeah, exactly where it is. <laughs> All right. So with inspirations out of the way, that brings us into at an hour into the show, tool time. <laughs> tool time. And tool time is coming at you thanks to the boys at Creative Man, where you can get all of your sexy steels, toys, and classes. So visit creativeman.com.au to order today. And our tool of the week is a bit of an obscure tool, but it is transfer punches. And yeah, and I had to get Alex to remind me exactly what they were before the show because I haven't used that them obscure. In forever. <laughs> Now, transfer transfer punch works just like any other punch, except you don't have one transfer punch. You have a set of transfer punches, just like you would have a set of drill bits. And the Mm. set of transfer punches come in all of the different sizes that your drill bits do. And if you need to line up two pieces, one of which has a hole, and you need to make a matching hole in the other piece underneath it, you can actually drop a, a transfer punch through the top hole and it will perfectly align your center punch mark in the center of that hole because the walls of the transfer punch touch, the the outer walls of the center punch touch the inner walls of the hole. Um, they are unbelievably cheap to get a set of them in your shop and they are one of those things that is just super duper handy. Yeah, and um, I, you know, I'm surprised that I don't actually have a set. I'm going to have to go get one now that Alex has reminded me that they exist. And that they are the- cheap because transferring this position of a hole onto another piece of material is actually something that we do quite regularly in knife making and even in blacksmithing. So, you know, it is, it is something that is difficult if you want to get millimeter or even, you know, like less than a millimeter accuracy, it's very hard to do without having a transfer punch. And we have all been guilty of lining two pieces up and trying to squeeze a felt tip marker down into the hole. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, or or like a, you know, doing doing lots of circles with a yeah. pencil and then trying to aim for the center of the squiggles. That's it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Just get a transfer punch set, guys. It's it's much easier and you'd be surprised how often you use them. Hmm. 
a good tip that I can tell you is um, you will end up favoring like two or three particular sizes because you'll find that you use those holes, uh, that size hole the most. Um, just wrap some colored tape around the, because the, these things are about five, six inches long. Um, so right. just wrap a little bit of colored tape around them. So when you go over to the set, you can just grab the one you need without having to check the, the measurements. <laughs> yeah. Um, it's uh, it saved you a lot of time. I learned that the hard way. <laughs> and speaking of adding obscure tools to your shop, that brings us into our topic of the week, which will, if, if Niels Vandenberg, if your ears start wiggling, this is why. Our topic <laughs> of the week is tool up or die. That's right. <laughs> hey, dude! <laughs> Rule one! <laughs> Um, no, oh, it's, I can, we, I can f- hear him now. <laughs> I know it's like he's right in the room with us. Um, no, it's, you, it, do you he, have he, your app open? Do you? <laughs> yeah, that's right. Um, <laughs> bladesmiths don't eat freaking salad. <laughs> oh, he's a gem of a human being. Haven't seen that video on Alex's channel. <laughs> uh, on Alex's YouTube channel, there is an app ad for <laughs> Niels Vandenberg bladesmith ad you need to go you need to get that in your life because it is freaking hilarious I like making fun of people <laughs> but, Niels enjoyed it too but he um, it's, yeah well that's it that's, that was the main thing but he, he, he shouts this at people quite aggressively a lot um, tool, mm-hmm. tool up or die and um, he's right frankly absolutely uh, it's one of those things that you enter this craft and you see other people online, you look at everyone watches Alex Steele and you're like, I don't have the money to get three power hammers, um, <laughs> four anvils, a press, a big... Two workshops on opposite sides of the country, on opposite that, sides of the planet. That have matching equipment, yeah. <laughs> you know, uh, student lathes, mill, uh, like yeah. Bridgeport mills and things like that. And uh, a lot of people sort of... I, I'm under the illusion that you have to have all that to get started and Sam and I do a lot of work to try and convince you guys that you guys can start with literally a hole in the ground and a hairdryer um, mm-hmm. but if you're just mucking around and having a bit of fun on the weekend stay basic it's fine but if you mm-hmm. want to get serious about what you're doing and you want to actually sort of maybe make a living on what you're doing or at the very least make a side hustle out of it that's that's doing some you know some serious income you really need to tool up whenever you get the chance absolutely and when we say tool up we don't just mean get tools because they exist the whole concept of tool up or die is getting tools that are going to make your work more efficient faster better more accurate well you know bert foster has always said that you can uh, it doesn't take you know a lot of tools to make a fantastic knife it takes a lot of tools to make a lot of fantastic knives quickly mm. <laughs> and so yeah when you start out you can make master smith quality stuff with nothing but hand files and hacksaws and you know a rudimentary forge and stuff but if you want to make a lot of them and quickly then you're going to need to get stuff like a 2x72 grinder or maybe a power hammer or maybe a press stuff like that but you don't necessarily need to get them all at once. No. A lot of us a lot of us will, you know, 
get that one tool that we need and then we'll make a whole bunch of stuff, sell that stuff and then use the income from that to buy another tool, which we'll then use to make more stuff to then buy the next tool yep. and so on and so forth. And it's a, it's a constant struggle. We were talking about that earlier in the show is that, you know, you're constantly making tools for yourself, which is also an important part of tool up or die. But, um, yeah, if you're buying tools, a lot of the time you're buying tools to make stuff to buy more tools. (laughs) Yeah, and, like, a lot of our listeners have been caught up in the world of thinking about tongs lately um, because Mm -hmm. of the competition that we're running. How many of you, and I'm looking for the raising hands here, I I can see you guys through the speakers. (laughs) How many of you have wasted several hours of time on a project fumbling with the wrong tongs working at half your normal rate when it would have only taken you a couple of hours to make a set of tongs that would have done the job a lot easier Mm. and you probably would have gotten to the end of your day faster and more efficiently because if you had just stopped and made the tongs that you needed on top of that how many of you have made one of something and then decided you want to make more of something. Yes. But instead of tooling up with jigs and a bunch of stuff to make it faster, you've just kept faffing about making them with the same tools Mm -hmm. and not optimizing the amount of time you're spending making this stuff. I know that I've got my hand up right now (laughs) because I've done it myself. Mm -hmm, Me too. But that is part of Tulip or Die. You know, like I, I got a order for 30 hooks and I made all 30 hooks without a jig yeah and then the next time that that same customer came to me with for an order with 30 hooks i went oh, screw it i'll make a jig it took me five minutes literally yep. to weld a couple of pieces of steel to some angle and i had a had a jig immediately yeah and it speeded up my process by like 600 mm-hmm. <laughs> percent and even just that um i actually hear from a lot of people and i know they're probably cringing right now when listening to this because i know they're both listening the, to the, the um, two of them in particular are listening to the show i'm not specifically mm-hmm. talking about you guys don't worry i hear this from a lot of people get a welder welders are yeah. cheap I hear so often of people sending stuff away to get welded. Oh, yeah. Weld, get a second-hand welder. Like, a brand-new backpack inverter, like, 170-amp backpack inverter will cost you 200 bucks. Yeah. When it's not on sale. Yeah, a decent helmet will cost you 100 bucks. Well, you can get away with this, some $35 helmets that do a half-decent job. Yeah, and a... Packet of sticks costs like sixteen bucks. You buy them by the kilo, guys. This- yeah, exactly. And and like even if you don't know anything about welding, there are plenty of videos online. Yeah, and Chucky Chucky two thousand nine is it? Yeah, I believe so. Yeah, yeah. and well and weld dot com yeah. they do a lot of stuff as well. But you just go for it, and a stick welder will weld pretty much anything you need to weld in a blacksmith shop. I have a MIG welder, like quite a large, nice (laughs) MIG welder that somebody gave to me about Mm -hmm. eight months ago. I've used it once. I just love my stick (laughs) welder. (laughs) Yep. You know? Yeah, I've I've had my little backpack inverter for like nine years now, and it it does everything I need it to do. I've got one of the big clunker um, stick welders (laughs) that like makes the lights flicker when you use it. (laughs) I really need to get one of those little inverter ones. They're so much better. Oh, it's fantastic. My dad gave me so much crap when I bought it because he had one of those really big units, mm-hmm. the stick welders. 
And he was like, oh, that thing will never have the power. And then he came over to my place and I blew a hole through a half inch steel plate with yep. a 2.6 mil rod. They went, crap, oh. can I borrow that? <laughs> <laughs> and he went, he went on for a year coming to my place every month or so to borrow it for a job because he was building sheds. <laughs> and the inverter ones use so much less power. The, the oh, current man. drawer on them is incredibly small compared to the big ones. And not only that, but they last a lot longer than you think. Like, you know, I welded up an entire post anvil stand in the middle of summer mm. and that thing just kept going. Yeah. So, oh, yeah. you know, like the system, the systems are pretty good. And yeah, like I said, it doesn't take much to learn how to weld. Like it really doesn't. Yeah. And it's like, um, I recently did the forge press and it's because mm-hmm. I'm doing a lot. I'm getting a lot of requests for Damascus projects. And making Damascus entirely by hand takes a long time. Yes. Like a, a long time. And a lot of wear on your bones. and Yeah. And so... You lose more material to scale as well. That's you know, it. So. You end up with tiny billets after a lot of work and you're wrecked and you have to take days to recover afterwards if you're <laughs> an, a crotchety old man with a chronic illness like me. Um, mm-hmm. And that's with somebody helping you. Thanks, Broden. Um, <laughs> so it's... It was one of those songs, bro. It was massively a tool up or die (laughs) moment where I got that because it's like, this isn't a regular part of my life now. I have to invest in this. And it was, Mm -hmm. it was either that or get, you know, pay Sam to make me Damascus. (laughs) (laughs) Because he has a press. (laughs) I got, I got Preston just like for exactly the same reason. I was making hammers and I wanted to make Damascus. But I knew from experience that making hammers on my own sucked. Mm -hmm. My striker had moved away at that point. And um, yeah, Damascus is a massive pain in the ass. Mm -hmm. So the press was an absolute necessity. And like, even though I invested a much smaller amount than a proper forging press would be, the investment was still not insignificant for my shop, but it was massively necessary. But even when it's not a massive investment, little things like our tool of the week transfer punch sets are about yep. 12 bucks. And like Sam and I said, like how many people in the audience have tried squiggling around the edges of the circle to try and mark <laughs> the, the thing <laughs> underneath it. and everything when a $12 set would do any size hole you could perfectly, possibly imagine and it would do it perfectly every time with a tap of a hammer. Yep. Yeah, or a, a decent uh, a decent set of drill bits, like yeah. high quality drill bits. Mm-hmm. Uh, we all buy the really cheap shit ones that come in packets of a hundred, and we burn through them faster than we can count. And we also end up with wallowed out holes because the drills are almost never sharpened properly. And like I watched the project, I, I think I talked about it on the um, the Forgecast in a previous episode. I watched the Project Farm videos on YouTube on the best cutting mm. fluid and the best drill bit sets. And I bought both of them because I was sick of burning through drill bits. And I thought if I'm using the proper <laughs> cutting fluid and I've got decent drill bits, they'll probably do a good job. And they have the investment that it was more than I've ever paid for drill bits before. It was like 70 bucks for a set. And that's how cheap mm-hmm. I am, guys. That's the most I've ever paid for a, a full <laughs> set of drill yeah. bits. And they are amazing. They do everything I need them to do. And they're lasting for ages without me even having to touch them up because of the cutting fluid. Um, mm. And it was just, it was tool up or die. I had, I have like boxes of drill bit sets lying around in piles of junk in my workshop that are old and covered in sawdust and everything from being forgotten uh, because I've gone through so many. And when you look back at that that graveyard of shit that's built up, <laughs> add up how much you spent on all of that, and I bet you it's more than you could have spent if you just got the right thing from the beginning. Yeah, 
Absolutely. And, uh, you know, it's like, I'm regretting having my little Ryobi bench drill because it is the most inaccurate bench drill that you could possibly ask for. I think uh, mine would I think, give it a run for its money. <laughs> oh, well, I mean, they're probably basically the same machine. Yeah, mine's an, Al- an Aldi special. Yeah, man. They're, they're terrible. And I desperately need a better drill press. Or just um, a mill. Or just a mill. You know, that is also uh, something I'm looking at. Um, but, you yeah, know, it's it's one of those things where you've got, you've got to take into account the effect that having crap tools does uh, have on you as well. You know, it's the same with, like, angle grinders. I ended up splashing out and buying a $300 angle grinder because I'd burned out $200 ones in, like, three weeks. And uh, it, it, it does not stop, this thing. Just keeps going. And um, Is there something wrong with the switch, or...? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I've got to unplug it from the wall in order to get it to stop. No, no, it, it, it runs and, going. you know, it gets really hot, um, but doesn't burn out like the other ones do. You live in Perth, everything gets really hot. Well, I mean, this is true. Um, <laughs> just step outside. Um, but yeah, no, like, decent quality tools is, is a tool up or die situation as well, because you might have the tool, but if you've got a crap version of that tool, then you don't really have that tool. Yeah. Um, there are some cases where, and we've to- talked about it before, buying stuff like Ryobi quality stuff for tools that you're not going to use regularly is fine. But when it comes to tools where you need precision or you need uh, consistency, it's important to spend that extra money. Mm. Um, and that doesn't when necessarily it comes... always mean buying new. Like, look in the classifieds, look in Facebook oh, groups that are, where, you know, buy, sell, swap groups and things. Go to estate sales. There's all sorts of places where you can get higher-end stuff at lower prices. Yeah, and tool up or die sometimes comes down to... Uh, like, you know, I've got Preston and for the first six months I had him, I only had two sets of dies, flat dies and rounding dies. That's all you that need. Was it. That's, that's it. But, you know, it, I eventually got to a point where I was like, I really need to make like four or five other sets of dies for him in order to get the amount of work out of him that I wanted. And so I did. I spent a day making dies. I made a hammer punch die. I made some smaller flattening dies. I made two different sets of fullering dies. And it increased the potential of what I could do with the press by, you know, a couple hundred percent because it allowed me different working surfaces. And the same can happen if you want a swage, you know, buying a swage block is one option, but also you can make swage blocks for your anvil, Mm. different chisels, different punches, stuff like that, that will make your life easier by just making one step slightly easier than the last. (laughs) And so many people, and another thing that I hear a lot is so many people see uh, a shop like yours or a shop like mine or a shop like Roy's and they see Mm. dozens and dozens and dozens of pairs of tongs and they're like, Mm. I could never afford that many tongs. What you're not realizing is that we've bought maybe three of those pairs. The rest of them... I've bought one. (laughs) You've bought one. There you go. (laughs) And it's it's, we make them because we need them and that's how your collection grows. And we didn't make them all in one day. We didn't even spend an entire week making them. What'll happen is we'll use them until we find something we can't hold on to. Yeah. Then we'll make a set to hold that. And then we'll just keep going until we find something else we can't hold on to. And then one day you'll open a parcel out of the mail and a huge plume of cinnamon will burst out. (laughs) (laughs) Revealing a set of scrolling tongs. Yeah, well, 
you know, cinnamon scrolling time. <laughs> you know. uh, it was still funny. Don't open parcels with knives, guys. <laughs> <laughs> or at least don't open them like you're trying to go Rambo on it. Hey, <laughs> I was excited. I got a sand parcel. It's one of the highlights of my life. All right. <laughs> well, you know. <laughs> Yeah, that's fair enough, I suppose. There's never I been anything any... bad in a sand parcel. <laughs> Except cinnamon. Uh, you know, you, you inadvertently did the cinnamon challenge. <laughs> yeah, that's right. I looked like I'd done it. Uh, well, you know, I didn't put any cinnamon in the hammer package. There you go. Yeah, well, that's right. Just scorpions. <laughs> yeah, well, it? yeah. <laughs> the bees. Not the bees. <laughs> but yes. Speaking of making tongs, mm. you guys are in your final week to yes. get this challenge. You got a bonus week. We were generous gods, and we gave you one <laughs> bonus week. I hope you yep. are making good use of that time. Yes, I hope so too. We're seeing we some streaming? phenomenal stuff. Oh, we are. I am I'm super excited to see the finished results of some of the the tongs that are coming out mm. are we streaming from your channel or mine it'll be from mine because yeah. um I'm, I'm setting up all of the um link, linking in the video from skype and all of the technical craziness that took me three weeks to work out last time yeah alex and i'm hoping is, still works the, alex is the technical genius of the show <laughs> i am a luddite um, so yeah, we'll be going live on Alex's channel, Valhalla Ironworks, at 9am uh, on Saturday. So that's 9am Australian Western Standard Time on Saturday the 3rd, which is actually the day before my birthday. Oh, there you go. There you go. Uh, yeah. So, I forgot we were uh, yeah, so close in us. our birthdays. Yeah. If you want to come join us to uh, f- uh, have fun on our 104th episode, that's two years of the Forgecast. Two years and you haven't lynched us yet. Well. <laughs> not for lack of trying. No, not for lack of trying. Exactly right. <laughs> this is why we live so remotely. Sam lives in the remote, remotest capital city on earth. Yep. Um, and I live in Tasmania, which speaks for itself. <laughs> just remote. It's just so you can't place. get to us. That's <laughs> yeah, exactly right. Yeah, that's exactly right. You'll never stop the pirate radio. <laughs> <laughs> the ship, the boat that rocked. Boat. I, I rewatched that the other night. That's a good movie. Yeah, it is a fantastic movie. Got panned in the box <laughs> office, but you know what doesn't? Yeah. Critics don't know what the hell they're talking about no, most they, of the time. They really don't. Anything with Bill Nye in it is just great. Well, yeah. I mean, you know, Bill Nye. But he, you can never go wrong. I always think, like, surely he should like pronounce his name differently. It's spelled differently, but he's not Bill Nye, the science guy. He's Bill Nye, the actor yeah. guy. Yeah, this is true. Should be like Bill Bill Nihua. <laughs> <laughs> Just call him Slotty Bartfast. That's right. <laughs> uh, but anyway, guys, yeah, hope you're having a fantastic week, and uh, we look forward to seeing you at the live show. You better be there. Mm-hmm. And thank uh, you for all of the emails. If you would like to send in an email, um, we'll probably be reading some of them out on the live show. Um, mm. and that you can email them to ask.forgecast at gmail.com. And if you Do we want to announce the prize for the competition on the live stream? Yes. Yes. So there will be a competition on the live stream day, and the prize for that competition, just so to get you interested so that you do come to the live show, 
is the opportunity to come on the show with us and actually be on an episode of the Forgecast. Yeah, and ask us um, all of the questions your little heart desires. Yeah, and get us to ask you some questions. Yeah, that's right. So yeah, if you're interested in being on the show and actually hanging out with us for a, for an hour or two, um, then make sure you're at the live show and uh, yeah, make sure you're interacting in the chat because uh, we have there'll a- be an opportunity for you to come on the show. Yes, a very interactive competition will be being run during that yep. live stream. So um, that that is uh, your your chance to get on the show and to mm. harass us in person. Yeah, exactly right. <laughs> so yes, one one week and a day from today. That's it, guys. Make sure you're there. Looking forward to seeing you there. And in the meantime, if you are looking for Sam, where can they find you? You can find me at Sam Towns Bladesmith on YouTube, Instagram, Facebook, Twitch, Etsy, Redbubble, Patreon, the Kitchen Sink. Where can they find you, Alex? I go by Valhalla Ironworks, and you can find me on. YouTube, Facebook, Instagram, Etsy, Redbubble, Twitch, everywhere. Where else are they find me? I don't know. Patreon. Patreon, uh, yeah, Patreon's <laughs> a big one. <laughs> Can't find you on TikTok anymore. You can find me on the Forgecast. Yeah, you can find us here too. Yeah, sometimes. Not last week. <laughs> well, yeah, you know, we took a week off. Yes. All right, guys. Hope you're all doing well. Keep that fire lit, and we will see you next week. Bye-bye. Oh!